This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 11. How do I read the Bible? Many have this question and many related questions. Do we read it literally or figuratively or both? Is it one book or many books? Do we read the whole thing the same way? How can we know what was meant by a passage? How do I know one interpretation is correct and another isn't? Etc. Now there's the reading of the Bible that most average people do, and then there's something called biblical exegesis, which is what you know scripture scholars do. We'll maybe talk a little bit about that last one, but mostly we're going to focus on how does an everyday person read the Bible? How, how should I approach the Bible? In what mindset should I approach the Bible? What kind of tools should I use in order to reflect on scripture and understand what it's saying to me? The first thing to mention is what we should bring to our reading of Scripture. St. Augustine says that the first thing we need to keep in mind, the main thing we need to keep in mind is that the love of God for his own sake and the love of our neighbor for God's sake is the fulfillment and the end of all Scripture. So that should always be in our minds when we're reading Scripture. Also, we should make sure that we're engaged in a life of prayer that we have the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, that we're in the state of grace, that we're involved in the life of the church, that we're doing our own catechesis, trying to learn more about the faith. All of these things are essential because we need to be united to God in order to understand what he's saying. God is the author of scripture, the divine author, who worked through human authors. And so to understand the deepest sense of scripture, we need to be united to God and to his body, the church. We need to immerse ourselves in the life of the church and her liturgy in order that we might not just read scripture, but be living in the midst of the word of God. So all of this means that scripture is, yes, something that we read on our own in prayer, but most properly it's done within the body of Christ. Because, you know, even as St. Peter says, nothing in scripture is the result of private interpretation because private interpretation is not secure. So Two people with contradictory interpretations can't both be correct. God doesn't contradict himself. So there are certain touchstones of truth and safeguards that we need to have in order that we might discern the authentic word of God rather than misinterpret and be misguided about what God is trying to say to us. So the first question is, what kind of a book is the Bible? What kind of form of literature is it? Well, of course, the answer is it's multiple forms of literature. There are psalms, which are basically poetry or song. There's actual history. There are apocalyptic texts. There are prayers. There are laws, etc. So in order to read scripture, we need to be mindful of that. The first thing to do is to figure out what am I reading here when I sit down with a particular book or particular verse? Am I reading a prayer? Am I reading actual history? Am I reading law? It's really important because to understand what the author, both the divine and the human author, are trying to say to us in that text, it's important that we figure out the manner in which they are speaking in this particular text. 
because we're going to read history much differently than we're going to read poetry. For example, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he's very clear that he's writing history, talking to Theophilus, and he says, hey, all this stuff took place, and I really took pains to write down exactly as it happened. So you know you're reading history when you see that, and then you take what follows as a historical report. Whereas if you, you know, go to Song of Songs, for example, and you read, your hair is like a flock of goats, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing, you're like, okay, that's uh, weird sounding. It's probably poetry. So basically you approach scripture the way you approach other texts that you read. You determine the kind of text that you're reading. You're going to read your newspaper very differently than you read your favorite novel. Now, once you've determined, and this is not something you need to do on your own, because when you read scripture, we already know what kinds of literature the various books are. But once you recognize what you're reading, then the next thing is to figure out the literal meaning of the words. That is what the author intended, the plain meaning of the words. And that's true whether you're reading history or law or poetry, because you always want to get what exactly the author is trying to say. And you do that by figuring out, first of all, understanding who the author is, the audience to which he's writing, the cultural context, the historical context. All of these things help you understand what the words mean, what the author is trying to convey on a literal level. To be clear here, you try to understand the literal meaning of the words, even if, for example, the author is writing uh, poetry or metaphor, like the example of that I gave earlier in the Song of Songs. What do those words mean given who it is, Solomon, and, and the context in which he's writing? So even something like metaphor, you still want to understand what the plain sense, the most immediate sense of what the author is trying to convey. Then and only then, when you understand the plain meaning of the words, can you then move deeper into the spiritual sense. St. Augustine and St. Thomas and the, the teaching of the church tell us that all the other senses of scripture are built on the literal sense. You first have to understand what the author intended, and then you can find the other meanings within the spiritual sense, whether it has a Christological meaning or a moral meaning or a meaning regarding the life to come. St. Augustine summarized this by saying, In all the sacred books, we should consider eternal truths that are taught, the facts that are narrated, the future events that are predicted, and the precepts or counsels that are given. So after establishing first what kind of book you are reading, and then understanding the literal sense of the words, you then move on to interpretation of the spiritual sense. And again, this is something that we do within the context of uh, the living tradition of the church. Because again, as we said at the beginning, personal interpretation uh, can be insecure because we can come to contradictory interpretations of the same text, which of course can't be intended by God because God can't contradict himself. So what are the rules or guidelines for interpreting scripture? Well, the Catechism tells us that sacred scripture must be read and interpreted with the help of the Holy Spirit and under the guidance of the magisterium of the church according to three criteria. So the first one has to be read with our attention to the content of and unity of the whole of scripture Second, it must be read within the living tradition of the church. And third, it must be read with attention to the analogy of faith, that is, the inner harmony which exists among the truths of the faith themselves. So that first one, that it has to be read with attention to the unity of Scripture, of the whole of Scripture, it means that no properly understood 
assertion of scripture will ever contradict another. And if we see that it does, it's a false interpretation. So take, for example, Romans 10, verse 9, where St. Paul says, If you say with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's used often to say, like, hey, listen, Christianity's simple. St. Paul tells us right there what we need to do to be saved. Well, you have to read that with the rest of Scripture in mind. For example, the many commands of Jesus, that we must be baptized, born again, right? That unless we eat his flesh and drink his blood, his life is not in us. And the various other commands he makes throughout Scripture. You know, when he's ascending into heaven, he tells his apostles, go and teach them everything that I commanded you. So we see then, if we interpret Romans 10, 9 as that's all we need to do to be saved, we see that that contradicts the other things that we read in the Gospels, so we know that we're interpreting Romans in an incorrect way, that we're oversimplifying the path to salvation at the expense of many other teachings of Christ. So someone who says, you know, all these Catholics, they do way too much. You know, all you got to do is believe and you'll be saved. Look, St. Paul says it there. That's ignoring when Christ instituted all the sacraments. So it's kind of a big deal to make sure we're reading everything within the unity of Scripture. So that's to avoid one of the most uh, fruitless activities that Christians engage in, which is taking verses out of context and battling with them as if one verse can prove something. No, Scripture, even though it's a variety of books, has one author, the Holy Spirit, and so you can never have authentic interpretations of Scripture contradicting each other. The second criterion that we mentioned was that the living tradition of the whole church must be taken into account. And um, the First Vatican Council in the late 19th century put it this way, In matters of faith and morals, affecting the building up of Christian doctrine, that is to be held as the true sense of Holy Scripture, which Holy Mother the Church has held and holds. Therefore, no one is allowed to interpret the same sacred scripture contrary to this sense or contrary to the unanimous consent of the fathers. Now, this might rub us the wrong way. It sounds as if the church is saying, hey, there's, you know, guys in Rome that decide what scripture says and you can't interpret contrary to that. That's not what it's saying at all. In fact, the magisterium of the church has defined authoritatively very few verses of scripture. What it's saying is you can't contradict the living tradition of the church, meaning the understanding that the church has developed under the guidance of the Holy Spirit over the entirety of her life over these 2,000 years. And this is represented in a, in a practical way by the unanimous consent of the fathers of the church, those saints in the early centuries who were distinguished for their sanctity and their wisdom and the contribution of their writings. But it's also shown in other ways, the, the liturgical tradition of the church, how certain uh, scriptural texts were incorporated into the liturgy, and how the church's teaching became more articulated. Uh, all of these things contribute to how we are to understand scripture within the living tradition of the church. If there's not some council in Rome that sits there and defines what verses mean, no, it's a, a living interpretation guided by the church herself who is the, the bride of Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit because of Christ's promise that the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. Finally, the third criterion that we mentioned is that we have to take into account the harmony which exists between the, the truths of the faith. And the Catechism says that we have to be attentive to the analogy of faith, which is the coherence of the truths of the faith among themselves and within the whole plan of revelation. Which basically means that if we know something to be true about the faith, then a verse cannot be interpreted in a way that contradicts that. For example, we know that Christ commanded baptism. 
Therefore, if we take a text and we, we interpret it in a way that contradicts that command, then we know that's a false interpretation. Now let's take an example of one of the most important texts of scripture. When Jesus in the Bread of Life discourse in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John uh, talks about us eating his flesh and drinking his blood, you know, how can we determine whether or not that is metaphorical? Because Christ did use metaphors, right? He called himself a shepherd, wasn't literally a shepherd of sheep. He used that image to describe how he guides and corrects us. Describe himself as a vine and where the branches. Well, that's obviously not literally true. So Christ did use metaphor. So why do we take this bread of life discourse to be Jesus speaking literally? So here's where we need to take the unity of scripture into account. Because while Christ did use metaphor, there's never a point where he takes an actual shepherd or a vine and said, this is me. In the case of bread of life discourse, he not only says that his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink in those exact words, but throughout the discourse, he uses very, very explicit language about us eating his flesh and his blood. You know, in, in Greek, he uses words that actually mean like gnaw or chew, which one would not use if you were being symbolic. He also continues to reassert and intensify his claim about us eating his flesh and his blood during the Bread of Life discourse, even though uh, many people left because of that, because it was a difficult thing for them to accept. But then, later on, at the Last Supper, Jesus does take bread and take wine and say, this is me, right? Or this is my flesh, this is my blood. So he identifies not only himself as bread, but also then bread as himself. And that, along with the fact that he uses language and repeats himself in a way that he doesn't when he's speaking metaphorically, will lead us to an understanding of his words as literal truth, that his flesh and blood are true food. Now, taking that, in addition to the living tradition of the church, that is, the belief very early on, immediately, that Christ gave his flesh and his blood to us under the appearance of bread and wine, the unanimous consent of the fathers on this point, and maybe, you know, in a future episode on the Eucharist, we'll go over those texts. But that, along with the liturgical tradition of the church, all of this uh, comes together to reinforce the belief of the reality of Christ's presence in the Eucharist. We don't need to go through this process with every verse. Uh, the benefit of the living tradition of the church is the treasury of wisdom that she already has regarding the understanding of scripture. And so we can look to resources like the catechism to see how various verses are interpreted or how various truths of the faith come from scripture or how the tradition of the church teaches us certain things about scripture. So that would be one of the first resources to have at your disposal when reading the scriptures is to have the catechism. Uh, another resource to have is uh, On Christian Doctrine by St. Augustine. I already mentioned it. A document called Dei Verbum, D-E-I-V-E-R-B-U-M. It's a document of the Second Vatican Council talking about the Word of God. That's what Dei Verbum means. The Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, uh, compiled by Scott Hahn. It has a lot of helpful footnotes that explain a lot of the connections to various things in Scripture that we were talking about. And also the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology has a website with tons of resources that are very, very helpful to have while reading the Bible. 
Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. If these podcasts are helpful, please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and check out my Patreon link in order to help support producing these podcasts. Thank you and God bless.